Hello and welcome to Not So Peter Priesthood Podcast, the podcast where a gay veteran and his emotional support Canadian scream into the void about the Mormon Church. If you want to reach us, we are on Instagram at Not So Peter Priesthood. And you can email us at Not So Peter Priesthood at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy! Bye! I apologize. My dogs are going to bark at some point, so sorry about that. (laughs) I've got three kids running around doing who knows what, so. I know, I like turned on Disney Junior and I was like, that's your mom now, see ya. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, um, today, listeners, uh, we're just going to jump into it. We've got two incredible guests that have agreed to be on the show today. Um, We have mags and Brittany, and i'm going to let them uh, introduce themselves and tell this why they're okay well let me just give you a little background i guess um so we did just like a few we- weeks ago we did the episode covering oh my god why can't i community of christ church uh formerly known as the reorganized lds church and um i think i don't know but apparently we got a lot of you know Things wrong. So, of course we did <laughs> we're all about, yeah, we're all about um, clarity and having putting out the right information. And Brittany and Mags were kind enough to come on here and talk all about it. So, I will let you guys talk, and we'll we'll most likely interrupt with questions and whatever, what have you. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whoever wants to go first. Brittany, we'll start with you. What? I mean, I guess just to introduce myself, uh, I'm Brittany Mangelson. I live in Utah, Saratoga Springs, Utah, so in the heart of Utah County. Um, I was born and raised in Provo, grew up mainstream LDS, and had a faith crisis uh, about 10-ish years ago, I would say, is probably when it started, um, and have been with Community of Christ uh, since 2014, so it's been a minute I'm an ordained elder in the church, and I currently serve, just as of the beginning of this year, as the pastor of the Salt Lake City congregation. So that's kind of an intro to me. I've got three little kiddos. Um, Actually, they're not really little anymore. They're twins that are 12, uh, almost 13, and then an almost nine-year-old. So yeah, that's kind of my elevator pitch. (laughs) You're busy then, very busy. That is so cool that you're like the ordained an ordained elder in that church. That's very cool to me. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's me now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Mags. I live in the hipster Holy land of Oregon. Not, I'm not in Portland. I'm in Salem. <laughs> I love Oregon. Close um, enough. I, just, <laughs> yes, I fucking yes. love Oregon. Yes. I, <laughs> oh man, that was one of my favorite places ever. I, yeah. Anyway. Go on. Yeah, <laughs> I moved here to escape Utah, actually. So it's it's been a it's been a blessing, whatever blessings look like after leaving like crazy high demand religions. But um, I I've kind of been I didn't grow up in Utah, um, but I grew up LDS, and I was kind of I was a military brat, so I kind of moved everywhere and kind of experienced things everywhere. 
And then when I moved to Utah, it sort of set me off into like a, I moved to Utah in like 2006. And that set me off on like this crazy, like in, out, in, out sort of sexual experience with the church, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird that's a weird thing to say in, but um <laughs> like I was I was kind of back and forth for a long time on on where I belonged because it was like I believe these things and they're not like totally incompatible with Mormonism but also like there's a huge pressure to make sure that you stay in the church because everyone you know is Mormon in Utah um and so uh, eventually I just decided, you know, I'm done with this back and forth. I'm just going to go do my own thing. And my own thing has always kind of been like, I'm like Mormon, but not. And community of Christ was sort of a place to sort of flesh or deconstruct, flesh out some new things. And I'm still here. Um, but I, yeah, yeah. I've been part of community of Christ since 2017, um, I do work for the church as well. I'm an oral historian, ethnographer. So <clears throat> my job is basically to interview um, church officials who have retired and then save their stories for the archives. Um, and then I've also worked in Kirtland, uh, Ohio, as an intern at the Kirtland Temple. So that was really fun to give tours to very active LDS members and clarify or answer all their weird questions about community Christ because like I don't know I served a mission and so I can't help but like put on the whole like spirit voice thing and so I, I'd be giving mm. these tours and they're like they could just tell right it's the Modar we all have it we can tell if you're Mormon <laughs> and so I'd have people who are like wait a second you're Mormon right and I'm like um okay I'm more sort of. <laughs> give me your questions I will tell you exactly why the church doesn't have the Kirtland temple or the, the quote-unquote apostate church has the temple so yeah that was <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird sphere to live in and I don't I don't know my identity with the whole thing is kind of ever-changing that's wow. crazy. I love Modar. I'm stealing that. I will be yes. using that. It's <laughs> amazing. It's a thing. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You can just you can just know. You can just sense. Well, especially at Disneyland. It's, it's horrible. Oh yeah. I <laughs> I just read a tweet, like a Twitter Twitter thread where this um Exmo Exmo was talking to her Nevermo um husband and like he was saying like stuff that he could tell like you can he's learned how to spot mormons just by like his associations with her and it was crazy how spot on he was so. it, it is, yeah, it is. Um, anytime you like go on vacation you can just like you're like hmm it's pretty yeah. warm to be wearing that t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate going on cruises and then being able to see people like you go on a cruise and you're like I'm, I've escaped I'm out and like nope. you randomly run into people and you can just tell I don't know you can just tell <laughs> I don't know if it's a Canadian thing but like it doesn't matter where I go I'll be in an airport and I will see someone who knows my parents and they'll be like Justy how are your parents and I'm like hmm. <laughs> great <laughs> so I'm like a few drinks in <laughs> <laughs> So something you brought up was like the Kirtland Temple. I guess I, I mean, inquiring minds want to know what is the what is the whole, the actual truth on that? Because I know we we get told like like you said the apostate 
quote unquote church is the one that they won't let the Mormons have it because they're that kind of thing. And um, anyway, if you can elaborate a little on that, that'd be cool. Yeah, there. So there are a lot. Uh, there, well, there aren't a whole lot of books, but there's a really great book by um, a guy named David Howlett. And I think it's called A History of the Kirtland Temple. Brittany, I don't know if that's if you can um, remember the title of it. But I think it's just a history of the Kirtland Temple by David Howlett. And he kind of covers a lot of that. Um, <clears throat> I had to read that book as basically a textbook because it was an internship. It was like college credit. Um, and I didn't take it as college credit. They they just sort of said, hey, you're not doing anything this summer. You're an adjunct professor. And do you want to come do this? And I was like, sure. So <laughs> um, the the basically the, the LDS church didn't want the Kirtland Temple for like ever and anybody like actually anybody who is gen x or younger baby boomer or younger will have grown up with this idea that the kirtland temple was stolen from them but the fact of the matter is is like that that was a very new idea as of like the 60s and 70s when the big lds tourism push was going on um so after the saints left the the area, the Kirtland Temple sort of ex, um, changed hands several times. It was um, it was a community center, it was a school, it was a theological seminary for a different religion. Um, there were members in the area who sort of just like migrated in and out of Kirtland. Um, at one point, it was um, uh, the tour guide in like the late 19th century was a woman, I don't remember her name, but she would give tours of the temple. Um, and eventually there's a whole um, case lawsuit for the temple to be taken back by the RLDS church. Um, and that was led by Joseph Smith III, who was the president, the first president of the RLDS church after Joseph Smith is considered um, the, the first president, but Joseph Smith III was the first president of the RLDS church. Um, and so because the, the temple was sort of in the family name um, or associated with it, uh, eventually it got wind to independence where Joseph Smith III was or Amboy, Illinois, somewhere in there. And they said, do you want your building back? And he's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and <laughs> the the Mormons in Utah had very little to do with that. They weren't really interested. In fact, it was said that um, or it was said that Kirtland had been cursed by Hiram Smith after they left because mm-hmm. it was soiled and and rotten. And so they didn't want to go back at all. They didn't want to be associated with it. So after the RLDS church reclaims the um, the temple there, um, they they start to use it. They hold it. They hold meetings inside. They give tours still. The tour, the temple has always been open for tours and there's always been a charge. This is the one big complaint I got from people is like, why are you charging us money to tour our temple? It's like, it's $5 per person for one. It's like not a big deal. And also your church is not paying to upkeep this bitch. So, right. <laughs> so okay, Max, you're like grumpy Mormon voice. Can we just like have that on repeat? It's like, <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> So the least you can do is like pay your tithes to us too for your ancestors. So anyway, um, <laughs> so we would, they, they always offered tours and there'd always be like, you know, a 10 cent piece or something 
to go towards it. And it's actually written in the um, in the rules. Like we have the rules posted that were set down by Joseph Smith. These are the rules of the temple. Like no doing this or that, like smoking, drinking or whatever. Like mm, we all know what they did there. But <clears throat> um, but yeah, so there were these rules that, that people would have to follow to stay civilized and dignified and everything and, and respectful. And included in that is basically like, give offerings for tours, make sure that it's open to the public um, and, you know, offer what you can, you know. So that that kind of goes along for a while. There's a big tradition in Community of Christ of having reunions. So now you'll have mission centers or they're like stakes. Um, they have these big camps, they're family camps. They've also got youth camps and retreats and things all the time like this church is not high demand but it kind of is still high demand because they love to spend time together just hanging out just hang out it's not like come to the temple shut up watch your movie and then leave it's like come to come gather in the space hang out laugh tell jokes and then go home after like a week of just partying Laughing it's, in the temple, that seems so, that's like, I would love that, but that seems so like foreign concept, right? Yeah. Like, oh, well, I, yeah, right? <laughs> loud laughter is now allowed. So that's weird. That's why but, I, okay. I laugh too loud. <laughs> <laughs> so the temple grounds were open for reunions. And so people would come and gather on the temple grounds and they would camp for a week and you'd have families like um, the, the temple grounds there would are rich with archaeological potential. Like I would be walking around and because it's rained so much in Ohio, like things would come on earth. Like I'd find like a piece of pottery that somebody left behind because um, they, they broke a, a dish um, at a, at a camp, not for the stucco, like everybody thinks. Right. But um, there's a lot of evidence left there of people just enjoying camping and being together outside on the temple grounds and worshiping inside. And then in the sixties and seventies, um, oh, what was his name? I think it was like Keith Armstrong. I'm probably wrong on that, but he was a, an LDS member from Utah who moved to Ohio and wanted to build the churches, the LDS churches presence there. And he basically orchestrated the wholesale of the Newell K. Whitney store and all of that stuff down, down the hill from the temple um, to create this, this tourism site so that people would come and actually embrace that part of LDS history. So then the Mormons start to take interest in the sixties and seventies. And that's why today you get Mormons, LDS members who get all her about not having the Kirtland Temple and they send their kids in droves on these bus tours and the kids are super rude and write angry notes to us and then stand around the temple and chant give it back give it back which did happen when I was there it was horrible <laughs> yikes no way that's so it's like basically it's like two kids fighting and they um, like one has the toy and then suddenly they realize that, hey, I want that toy because be but before they were like totally didn't even it was nothing to them. So now all of a sudden it's like in the 60s and 70s, we're like, oh, we actually want that toy. Like yeah. not saying the temple's a toy, but I'm just like the that's the idea. Kind of that mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Good analogy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so was there. Anything specific um, 
that we got, I guess, I mean, I'm pretty sure we got a lot wrong, but like, is I'm there sure anything we got on, the top, a ton of things wrong. on the top of your brains from our episode of what we talked about? Because I, I just remember, like, I pulled it from the website, from the Community Crisis website. Community Crisis website, and I, um, I was like, and it was months ago, and then I went through my notes, and I was like, oh, we'll just go through this, and I can't even remember, like, <laughs> I didn't fact check a lot of that stuff because I was like, oh, well, well, you know, it's got to be accurate on the website, but I don't know. Even then, but then you go to like even the churches, like the Mormon churches website, and there's, you know, it's all whatever they they flower up the truth, you know, and stuff. So I just, um, you know, I, uh, yeah. Anything that you comes to mind from our episode that was particularly that you want to get the record straight on so that we can apologize. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. So here, it was interesting listening to that podcast, right? Because I mean, I'm a relatively new convert to community of Christ and hearing folks like you two encounter some of this information and the way that community of Christ presents our story for the first time, like having here over, it felt like overhearing you guys processing and trying to figure out like, what the heck is this? Which is exactly what I did when I first encountered community of Christ (laughs) on the website. Um, I will just say that community of Christ while we have our basic beliefs and while we have our um, core tenets, our theology, the the talking points that you see on the website, the actual lived experience of people on the ground in congregations is a lot less flowery. It's a lot less like like that it speaks to like a high Christology or, you know, like really thick Trinitarian language and things like that. And from my experience, that's not what your average community of Christ, that that's not how they would define themselves or that's not how they would express their faith. So um, usually, especially here in Salt Lake, we focus more on the enduring principles and the mission initiatives. So those like core values of all are called worth of all persons, Um, grace and generosity, this idea that everyone is equal, everyone is equal of God's love, everyone has gifts and talents that they should bring to the community, regardless of orientation, gender, race, all of those things that divide us. Um, We focus more on those things, you know, like that, those values, rather than like, who is God? Let's explain the Trinity. Let's, you know, like do all this like thick, thick theology stuff, which is not to say that it's not present. It sure is. But sometimes I feel like when people are encountering who we are for the first time, you can almost trip up in some of that like thicker theological language, um, which is absolutely what I did, which is absolutely what most people see when they come to the website or even in a congregational setting uh, for the first time. So it, it was interesting to just kind of hear your guys's because, yeah, you were pulling stuff from the website. So it wasn't necessarily like you were wrong. There's nothing to apologize for. <laughs> but the way that like it's interpreted and lived on the ground, I feel like is just really chill. <laughs> 
I don't know. Okay. Yeah, okay. and I'm sure that could be said about so many organizations is it's going to be like very formal introduction, but how it actually looks in the day-to-day is probably vastly different. And I feel like what you're explaining really goes back to the name, the community of Christ. Like it sounds like a very community-based religion more than necessarily like worshiping or theology, but more about the people involved in it, which really speaks to me. Yeah, and like one of our enduring principles is unity and diversity, which can mean a lot of different things, but at least in my area, and also to be clear, like I'm primarily speaking from my context, right? So community of Christ is all over the world and it's not correlated. So what is going on here in Salt Lake City, Utah is absolutely not what's going on in the Dominican Republic, right? Like it's very, very different. So for us, unity and diversity means that all of us have a, a, our own personal spin on theology and on the Joseph Smith story. We have people in our congregation that would be happy to never open the Book of Mormon up again. They think it's a fraud. They hate it. They don't like it at all. And then we have people that still really value it and think that the story is true, whatever that means to them. And it's not my job to convince side A that they're wrong or side B that they're wrong. My job is to bring us together and how can we live in community um, and find unity in that diversity. So we're much less, um, yeah, we're, we're not very likely to say like, this is what we believe. And these are our tenets of faith that you must agree to in order to be baptized. And like, that's, we're not going to try to convince you that you're wrong. Which so is exactly cool. what the, the Mormon church, they're all about, like, you have the same manuals in every church, you know, and they supposedly the idea is that you go from one to another and you're supposed to be that feel the same thing and it's be taught the same thing on the same Sunday. And it's supposed to, but at, it always feels very patterned and very like cookie cutter to me. Mm-hmm. and doesn't really like speak to the actual congregation because like you said, like each congregation is going to need something different and based on their experience, based on their lived experience. And I, I think that's, that's interesting that that's been captured within your, within the religion. Yeah. Like even like you say in a different, like, me in Alberta, Canada, where it's minus 40 this last week, we're having different experiences and need different things from our community than necessarily like someone in the Dominican, right? Like, and I think that's such a, like, to me, that's what religion should be. It should be your community that you use for support, not a cookie cutter, everybody saying this exact same thing and teaching these exact same principles week after week, right? Yeah. I, on that, like the just echoing the the idea that like you didn't get anything wrong, and again, there's nothing to apologize for ha- processing. I just thought it was really interesting that so many of the ways that um like people who leave the church process like how what do I do with community of Christ? How are there so many people who are moving over to there? It's a Joseph Smith church. I don't want anything to do with Joseph Smith. And honestly, like if you don't want anything to do with Joseph Smith because you need the space, that is fine. I don't stay in this church because of Joseph Smith. Like when I took interest in it, it was because I had this question of like, okay, where is the true priesthood authority? And today, personally, I am, I believe in abolishing priesthood. 
And that is a that is a conversation that's happening in community Christ. What do we do with priesthood if we open it up to everyone, to women, which is which was great. Is it necessary to keep it open now? Right. Because there are all kinds of questions there that we're talking about. That's for a different podcast. But still, like the point is, is that the way that we process um, the deconstruction of Mormonism, when we when we encounter community of Christ or any other restoration church, we always come from it at like assuming that the way that they see their theological progression, it's the same as the LDS church. Right. So like um, you guys mentioned, this is popular folklore amongst Mormons, the idea that the community of Christ church gave up the book of Mormon so that they could join the national coalition of churches or whatever it was. Um, That's, that's very, that's a misconception, right? Like it wasn't, it actually was the opposite. Um, was it Wally B? Brittany, you can correct me on that. You're my historian. Ah! <laughs> I think it was Wally B. So Wally B. Smith in the 1980s um, was in talks of joining this coalition and was asked, you know, would you renounce the Book of Mormon? And the answer was no, because it's meaningful to people. Because the Book of Mormon was not really... I mean, maybe to some people, it's a literal history of the Americas and God is a literal being or whatever, and we have to follow it literally. But, you know, it's it's a core part of our foundation, but it's not necessarily like the guide for our trajectory. You know, like there are parts of the Bible that people are are allowed to kind of ignore, you know, because they are problematic. There are, you can ignore the Bible or the Book of Mormon. Um, It's part of who we are and who we've been. It will not necessarily dictate where we go. And so giving it up, like, yes, we could denounce it, but you can't deny where you've been, right? You can't deny your own story because it's part of what shapes you. And so it's a complicated subject. Like, what do we do with the Book of Mormon? It's a question that we continue to ask. I mean, Brittany mentioned people who are, staunch believers in the Book of Mormon. I think I know more I know more people who who like love the Book of Mormon who are lifelong members of Community Christ than I do former Mormons who join the Community Christ. But we can all kind of come together and discuss those nuances and our beliefs about the Book of Mormon. And it's okay. Um, and then like you mentioned like the idea of the Trinity and why are why is Community Christ Trinitarian? And it's because this historically this is a what I like to call a Kirtland era church. So the Kirtland era um, version of Mormonism looked a lot closer to Christianity um, then, and it looks a lot closer to Christianity today than the Nauvoo era of Mormonism, which is basically what informs the um, Brighamite church, the LDS church. And so you have this transitionary period where Joseph basically goes from being like, okay, I'm doing these things that are, that are Christian. There are other groups doing things that are also kind of, kind of weird, but also Christian. And now I'm going to go full fledged weird. (laughs) And I mean, we can talk about why he did that or what prompted or whatever. Um, But because Joseph Smith, the third, because I think this is my own take. Because Emma Smith struggled so much with Nauvoo, when Joseph Smith III was coming up in his years, he got more of that Kirtland era church. You read the Book of Mormon today, and there are passages that are very Trinitarian. 
very Trinitarian. And I don't think like that, I encountered that on my mission and it gave me a lot of anxiety because like, wait a second, why am I bothering with this Godhead thing, right? Like we are clearly Trinitarian based on my reading of the Book of Mormon. So I think Joseph III got that, got that, you know, Trinitarian hit. And that's kind of been the thread that they've gone with as they've reorganized and basically collected all of these mix-matched people um, who used to be LDS and brought them into this church and reorganized. Um, and like, I mean, personally, I'm more of a pantheist, so it doesn't matter to me like what a Godhead is or what the Trinity is. I, that doesn't matter to me. Um, and it's okay to be, to qu- kind of question that as a member, which I am grateful for because I'm really here for community. Um, but that's a, that's a, the, the, the idea that, the RLDS church now community Christ transitioned to something Trinitarian to fit in with something is actually completely inaccurate. Right. But Mormons need to see everything or we're taught as Mormons to see everything from the lens of an LDS view. So it's so, it's so refreshing to me to hear you say that you can have these questions and it's fine. Like that, just oh that must be such an incredible experience to know that you don't have to have all the answers and that there maybe isn't all the answers available to you like what a refreshing you can think for yourself you can have your own beliefs like I I find that so incredible especially coming from like an LDS background right like that's really cool and 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 kind of how you're saying like the church recognizes like the Book of Mormon happened and they kind of have this recognition of like this is what it was it's it's the same in so many world religions like bad things happen in the catholic church they don't pretend it didn't exist it's acknowledged and and continued on right so i think that's something that's so different from like the lds church where the lds church is like no 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 that didn't happen that didn't happen you know (laughs) like the cover-ups or the flowery wording And I I think you're touching on two of what I think are the most important points whenever I talk to former Mormons or even current Mormons about community of Christ. We were a movement that was founded on dissent, right? We were the people who were like, we're not really sure what we believe, but we don't agree with that guy over there. (laughs) We kind of rallied around that and it took a minute to figure out, okay, what do we believe? What parts of our story are we going to carry forward? And what parts are we going to say, nope, that's Brigham Young's deal. And he's taking that to Utah. So we're founded on dissent. And then from there, the dissenters collectively had a faith crisis. So in the 60s, when, you know, new Mormon history, and I'm using air quotes because that's kind of what it's called, was starting to come out and we were like, oh, there's this problem with church history and this pokes a hole in our story and shoot, 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 shoot. And there were all these things floating around that made Community of Christ recognize like, oh, Maybe we did get it wrong. Maybe we aren't the one true church. Maybe Joseph Smith did lie about this and this and this. So you had an entire denomination do what a lot of individual Mormons do. And so when you do it collectively as a community, then you go, well, dang it. Do we all just walk away from this or do we try to maintain community? Do we try to maintain some sense of faith? Um, and and figure out this new identity going forward. So 
I think that that those two things are one of the reasons why we're comfortable with disagreeing with each other and why there's such a variety of beliefs within the church. Because, I mean, there's obviously people still living that went through what the church did in the 60s, 70s and 80s, and they didn't all end up in the same place. So, you know. Susie over here can believe differently from Billy over here because both sets of beliefs were once part of our story and they've just chosen to hang on to different things, but they're committed to maintaining relationship and being together in community. So it's very different because when you're Mormon, you know, when the prophet speaks, the thinking's done and you're just supposed to go along with what's in the lessons and not push back and not question and yada, yada, yada. And community of Christ just doesn't even like understand how to be in community in that way because they're so used to just having open dialogue and disagreeing because that's what the whole thing was founded on. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Like that just seems so, that just makes sense in my brain after being like boxed in for 20 odd years. It just makes sense to be like, why can't we have these conversations? Why can't we have these, you know, different ideas and come to some sort of understanding? Like, yeah, it just makes more sense to me. It, it, if you ever get a chance to go to a community Christ, like congregational business meeting or mission center conference or world conference, um, community Christ has world conference every three years and it's actually happening this year. Uh, and it takes a week because people actually sit together and argue literally argue on the auditorium floor, argue with the president of the church on these policy proposals. And then like they vote on it. It's, it's insane. It can, it can get crazy, but like <laughs> that I I've had lifelong members who are just like, you Mormons are so weird because you love our business meetings. And it's like, well, we came from a church where we would have quote unquote business meetings and we couldn't yeah. say anything. Like shut yeah. up. <laughs> You're not actually a part of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The the first world conference I went to in 2016, we canonized what's now Doctrine and Covenants 165, which is all about like uh, diversity and being one despite of our differences and all that like really good stuff that I appreciate. But a woman got up and she spoke very much against it. She basically called it, you know, steps towards apostasy that our leadership was out of line with God's will. I mean, her words were very strong. And like, think about it. If somebody got up at general conference in the LDS church and said these things, right? Like it does not happen. So when you go to conference, you sit with your delegation, which means the people that you live around, basically. So I was with a decent amount of ex-Mormons. And when this woman was getting up and speaking, we were all like, oh, my gosh, and like clinging to our chairs and like looking at each other. And like my husband and I were both like, oh, this is so awkward and like looking around and community of Christ was just like, thank you. Thank you for your perspective, you know, and like. She literally was thanked for sharing her perspective. And then she sat down and we carried on because that's what you do. You disagree with each other. And it was so just like talking to the ex-Mormons in the room. We were all like sweating bullets because it was so uncomfortable (laughs) because we're not used to it. Like you don't tell the prophet of the church that like he's going astray. Like that's what it was like, right? (laughs) You would be, like, escorted by a very large security man out of the building. (laughs) Well, there was that one, uh, 
That woman that like stood up and yelled in conference, and now she's like not allowed to go to conference. She's not allowed. She got like she's, like banned from the the property even. Yeah, she had, like legal stuff against her too. I can't remember, but I don't. I think I, they they didn't have any like legal standing, but she's been like banned from the church's property, and she's like, oh darn. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But yeah, that's um, it's interesting because that was one of the things I um thought was really interesting when I was we were talking about it about the community of Christ was that you have these conferences where people where in like the, the president of the church just like leaves the room while there's a vote that goes and they talk about it. And, you know, and it's, there's more just the word vote, just the yeah. word vote being you. I was like, what? That's and incredible. It made me think of like the, you know, when they sustain the profit at the, um, general conference and everybody raises their hand no matter what like even though even if you don't know what they're doing like it's just like everybody else is doing it so i'm gonna do it you know like and um there's no room for that there's no room for like dissent like you said and i think that it's it it goes back to like what you're saying is it's a church founded on dissent and so you're able to have that open dialogue and i think that's there's value in that but the um what was i was gonna i I had a thought, but it's gone now. Anyway, gone. <laughs> um, I, I was also, I have, I have a main question though. Can you drink coffee? <laughs> what is oh, the yeah. word of wisdom situation? <laughs> you can drink coffee, and in fact, I'm sad that I don't have a mug next to me um, because <laughs> I have already finished my two cups of coffee. So. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of, it's interesting because I've talked to lifelong community of Christ people that are older who are like, oh, no, we've we've always been able to drink coffee. But then I've heard some people that it was very looked down on in their area. Right. So I don't think there's never been like a church wide ban on it necessarily. But there have been pockets where it's been taboo. Um but the podcast that's kind of like affiliated with Community of Christ is called Project Zion. And the tagline is the restoration caffeinated because we know that it's such a big deal. <laughs> because, yes, we drink coffee and all of our streets are like coffee related, like, you know, what's brewing and things like that. So we've oh, kind of cute. taken it and like have maybe taken it a bit too far because like there's a lot of series that are all related to coffee. Um, but yeah, we definitely love our coffee. So love it. That was, yeah, that was like my big, I was like, it all sounds good, but what's the coffee situation? (laughs) And alcohol is not restricted either. Um, ordained members are quote urged to refrain. So recognizing that there really are serious consequences of alcohol and like the unrestricted consumption of alcohol. Um, but it's not like you'll get in trouble for a glass of wine or it's not. Yeah. We're just, we're asked to make responsible choices, which is another enduring principle, but they really do leave it up to you to figure out what works best for you. So, which as a grown woman feels a little bit more makes a little like I should be able to choose what I instead of following a dictated you know seems a little, yeah. like a little bit sense. free agency autonomy and free agency weird <laughs> there so but there there are like some issues and I think that the I think that some of the issues we could talk about would be of interest to, to Mormons, things like 
Um, the fact that there are congregations that don't ordain women, even though that's totally, that's been allowed since 84, right? Like there are congregations that don't ordain women and the church doesn't like force them to do that. Or there are um, people who don't want, who places where um, queer people are not ordained because like entire nations in, in like Africa where, you know, it's illegal to be openly gay, um, you know, the church doesn't push for um, accepting LGBTQ people because it's a danger to them. So they're like, there are issues and there's a lot of variety on some of these things that are really important to ex-Mormons and to Western thinkers, I think. Um, the church tries really hard to navigate those things carefully and there's always dialogue. Like, again, I kind of alluded to some drama on, you know, like, should priesthood be abolished? There's also the question of, you know, what um, what should chastity look like for for priesthood members and things like that. Like, those those issues do exist, and you find that a lot of people who leave the Mormon church and who join Community Christ are on both sides of the fence on those arguments. Um, but again, that, that whole concept of dissent and keeping things open for dissent is, is so valuable, I think. And I mean, I have my sides that I'm on, and I hope that my side wins. <laughs> but I don't feel like compelled to like, you know, point the finger and tell the people I disagree with that they're that they're evil or being disobedient to God or whatever, because like it just it's all in how we're governing governing ourselves. Right. And doing the best that we can, because ultimately we don't know if there's a God. Right. We can't know if there's a God. Um, so we cannot know perfectly what the will of God is. And that's something you can't admit I mean, people, I think Mormons do, can believe that. I think plenty of Mormons do believe that. But I don't think that you can really admit it and stay in good standing for very long, which is why, like, I've been shocked by the people I know who've left the church because suddenly, like, they ask a simple question, like, what does God think of this? And they're told God thinks this exactly. And it's like, but how do you know that? And then it's like, nope, you, you're just, you're out. You can't ask questions, but you can it's a good place to ask questions. And we see a lot of um, <clears throat> people leave the LDS church and take interest in community Christ and then they move on their way. Right. And I think that's really, that's really great. Um, it's good to have a space to land and ask questions and get an idea of like, what could this church have been if we hadn't been so authoritarian and bent on obedience all the time and then, you know, you make your peace with your past and you move on. We don't have everybody join and we don't really need or want everybody to join because our paths are so individual and we need to do what we need to do for ourselves. We need to be safe. We need to be to be kind to ourselves and we need to be able to feel free and liberated to live our lives the best way that we can for ourselves. So, like, I loved what you said in the in the previous podcast episode about, you know, being a church that doesn't pressure you to get baptized. They don't. I had to say, I want to get baptized now. And that is that looks different for everybody. And, you know, if people are baptized and then they decide to leave after, we still don't, we don't go sending missionaries after them or visiting teachers to bring them back. We wish them well. And if they stay in touch with us, that's fantastic. And if they don't like, no, there's just no love lost, right? Like, you do what you have to do. And this church is really just about building a community for people who need it or want it. 
So if you had like a standing Thursday night game night, just because I left, we would still have our Thursday night game night. Like I wouldn't be ostracized because of a choice I made. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. And I want to be careful how I say this, but as the pastor of the solid congregation, I mean, we have people who come in and out all the time. Um, and we have people who join and then they decide a few weeks later that they don't actually want to be part of us and whatever that looks like. Right. Um, I've recently been in conversations with folks who are wrestling with these questions. And my number one message that I needed them to hear was that you need to have integrity. And if that means that you don't feel like you can have your name on our you know, church list, if, if you need to take your name back and not be an official member, um, that's important to do. Like it's important to live with integrity. And so you're always welcome at in our pews. You're always welcome at our activities, on our Zoom calls, all the things. And nobody's going to a even really know if they remove their name or step away to whatever degree. Um, but also that doesn't matter. I mean, we have people who have been coming to the congregation for five, six years who have never joined and they're like, I'm not going to join, but I'm still going to come because I still like you guys, but I have no desire to join a religion. And we're totally cool with that. And I think that, that through the institutional faith crisis that I kind of talked about is, you know, we dropped this idea that salvation only comes through community of Christ. So we don't consider ourselves the one true church. So I'm not worried about anybody's salvation or anybody's, you know, exaltation. We don't believe in that, but like, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Um, I just need you to have integrity with your beliefs. And if that means sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning, great. We can help you do that. If that means joining us when we're out serving the community, great. We can help you do that. If that means listening to you while you're angry and screaming at God, great. We can do that too. Um, and not one event is more worthy than another. Like they're all worthy. They're all valid. Um, and we just want to, yeah, be in, be in community with one another. I'm like getting emotional because exactly what you said is exactly what I wanted someone to say to me when I was going through my faith crisis and understand that I was making a choice for me and not bash me down and say, you're wrong. You're making like the reason I resigned from the LDS church is because I could not have my name on a roster that was doing these things to people that I love. And that's all yeah. I, I just wanted someone to understand that. So the fact that you literally said exactly what I was looking for is incredible and the people that in your congregation are so lucky to have you that's amazing well and I think part of it is because I was there too right I I resigned from the LDS church for very similar reasons and my integrity was important and I didn't even though now I know that the LDS church technically still counts you or whatever it's not like I you can fully take your name back but yeah, you could never get away yeah right <laughs> Symbolically, I did. And it it meant a lot to me. And so I really want our community to be for everyone. Um, but if there is some something that's making it so you can't fully live a life of integrity, like I don't want people to compromise that. So I would I would never ask someone to compromise that. So oh. um, <laughs> you were talking about um, joining. So I guess in my, like, the Mormon 
filter that I had, you know, that unfortunately goes through my brain. Um, I think of like baptism as your, that's your entrance into the church, you know, and it's your, you're officially a member of the church once you laying out of hands, all that stuff. And um, is there, is there like a, there's not a process like that with the community of Christ? Is there like a official process or is it just like you put your name onto a roster or what's the, what's that look like? Or is it by individual congregation? Well, that's an interesting question. And I'm just realizing that both Mags and I joined community of Christ differently. So there's kind of two ways you can do it. And we each did it one of those ways. So I chose to be re-baptized. It's not required if you have a baptism, uh, like a Christian baptism that involved water over the age of eight. And I mean, that's kind of obviously like historical carried over. I don't think we would say that anything magic happens at age eight. That's just one of those traditions that carries over, right? Um, For me, baptism was important uh, into Community of Christ just because I felt like my understanding of Jesus had so radically changed. Um, I don't believe that like angry dad God sent Jesus to die for our sins because we're so horrible. And like, you know, that's just not my theology. And you don't like there's nothing saying that you have to get rebaptized if your theology has shifted. But for me, it was important enough to do some sort of ordinance, sacramental, significant, whatever. So I didn't believe that like my sins were washed away and like all those traditional understandings of baptism uh, was not why I got baptized. I really wanted to be baptized though, because I see the table flipping Jesus that ate with the prostitutes that talked to women when he wasn't supposed to, that um, gathered children around him. You know, all these times where you see Jesus kind of throwing the status quo out the window and taking these hierarchies and turning them on their head, um, that really resonated with me and it still does. And so like, that's the Jesus that I wanted to follow. Not necessarily this like, again, sacrifice, sacrificial um, atonement theology, Jesus. And so for me, I wanted something to kind of publicly state that. And so I chose to be rebaptized and then confirmed. So confirmation is required um, to be a member, which is Mag's story. And I'll let them tell that in a sec. But um, yeah, it, it's there's no right or wrong way to do it. And for me, it was important, but it's not necessarily important for everyone. And it was totally my choice to to do that. So it's like a actual like personal. You took it upon yourself instead of how it's supposed to be instead of like a you're forced to do it like without consent. And that's something we talk about it's like informed consent and knowing exactly what you're coming into with this um, with this outward ordinance that you're um and you have these children at eight like you said that are taking on this big covenant that they don't even know what they're doing well and and so like Brittany said i did it differently i didn't choose to be rebaptized i chose to be confirmed and i'm like i'm sitting here thinking about why i did that and i think at the time, I would have said, oh, well, because I was I was like I was one of those ex-Mormons who was like, 
who leaves because the church is corrupt and I'm more righteous, which is stupid, but you know, there are plenty of people who do that, right? Like they just, they study church history or they, they think about things theologically and then they're like, oh, well, the church has gone astray. And so therefore I need to go find the true church. And we have plenty of people who are like, Joseph Smith III had the absolute um, authority, right? And that's, that was the approach that I had is like, I don't like Brigham Young, but the priesthood authority is real. And it's, just it's kind of a weird thing to do but but like i don't know more ex-mormon's gonna mormon right like or ex-mormon's gonna ex-mormon <laughs> but um i chose confirmation because i wanted to like at the time i said i wanted to honor the experience that i had with my dad baptizing me and i didn't like i felt like choosing baptism would have like dismissed that for at least for me in my mind now i'm realizing I really just didn't want to get wet in church during a church service. Like I did not, that was not appealing. Like, I mean, and I didn't have to do it at a church service. I could have done it in a swimming pool, like in the middle of swimming, I guess. (laughs) But like, I just didn't really want to go through the whole, like, yeah, let's get wet and have see-through clothing like you do in the temple when you're doing baptisms for the dead. And then all these old people (laughs) are looking at you. I didn't want that. So um, I just got confirmed instead of being rebaptized. And I was confirmed by two women. And that was really important because I had a lot, I was going through a lot of gender identity crisis issues that were stemmed, that stemmed a lot from the church. Um, I had, I was bullied a lot as a, in young women's um, by both the girls in young women's and my leaders. And so I didn't have a great amount of trust in females. I recognize that now as like women in the Mormon church have so little power or authority that they basically just try to eat each other, trying to like be the top dog. Um, But at the time, like it made it really difficult to be in female bodied spaces um, when I was LDS. And so part of that having being confirmed by two women was meaningful because it was a step for me in my acceptance of women and femininity and female authority as a good thing instead of as a negative and um, kind of reconciling that turmoil in me as I like embrace, embrace that part of me that is, that is feminine but also kind of letting it go because I identify as a gender or non-binary. Um, I am absolutely a gender abolitionist. We should talk, we should call everybody they. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, they, them pronouns for everyone. It's wonderful. Anyway, um, yeah, that part was the was is still significant to me as being ordained or not ordained, but confirmed by two women. Um, and I think that I, I also wanted to point out that this. Uh, what Brittany said with with the eight year old baptism, it's how the church is now. But there is actually legislation on the on the table for World Conference this year to open that up um, so that people who were baptized as babies through like the Catholic Church or maybe I think Eastern Orthodox maybe does that, too. If you were baptized as a baby, you can also join just by confirmation um, and not having to be rebaptized. So that's on the table because people are recognizing, you know, just because you were baptized as a baby doesn't necessarily mean that that wasn't somehow meaningful to you in your journey based on where you come from. Because 
I mean, I look at that. I look at infant baptism like that's that's gross. They don't have a, the ability to consent. But I also didn't grow up in that kind of culture where, yeah, maybe you didn't you weren't able to consent as a baby, but it can still be meaningful to you, you know. So, who am I to deny somebody their um, their valuing of that sort of baptism if that's how they grew up? So I think, you know, that's, I think that's, that, that, that does a good job of showing just how willing this church is to transcend or to transform or transition, um, but also how easygoing it is in terms of allowing people to just live their lives and live their spirituality and their beliefs and do what they need to do for themselves. Yeah, it's, it's like your culture is still allowed to be your culture. Like, they're not trying to strip you of that and just make you Mormon. They're You were baptized as a child in a beautiful cathedral, and so they're allowing that to still be part of you. That's really incredible. Yeah, um, I think we've talked about that before, where, like, the Mormon church has this thing of stripping you of your identity. and your ide- They've even said it, like... Um, wasn't that talk that we just talked about? Uh, Kevin Hamilton, he says something like uh, how – is it that one? I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah, one of the one, the recent ones we did, yeah. I, your identity – the only important identity that you have is as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And mm-hmm. that should be come before any other identity that you have. And that is just – I like that this is like completely like you said, like it's you're able to take your culture and your identity and carry it through and have your own beliefs and yeah. own theology. And I like what Brittany said. Um, you mentioned like you said just a phrase that that's not my theology. And I, I like that phrase. that It's like that's not that's not my, part of my core belief. And that's not how I that doesn't resonate with me. So it's not something that I'm going to. That's not going to be a part of me. Like, yeah. Like, it doesn't work for me, so I'm not going to worry about that. Like, that's that's incredible. I love that. Um, also. Well, I think it oh, just. Oh, no. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it just, like, makes you, you, general you, a more relaxed person. Like, I'm not going around trying to convince people that they're wrong. Or I'm not going around worried about this, you know, falsehood or. I mean, I could name off all the Mormon phrases like philosophies of men mingled with scriptures. And I hope (laughs) my mother doesn't hear that I just said that. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm not worried about like trying to correct everything. And I it's fine if people I mean, there are people in my congregation that believe radically differently from how I believe. And it's okay. And I don't I'm, I'm not worried about it because that's not ultimately what's what's important, which, which kind of sounds dismissive, but it's, it, it's not, I'm okay to let you sit in your belief or unbelief or whatever. And I would hope that you would extend that same courtesy to me. Like we don't have to convince each other that you're wrong or I'm right. Like it's just, it's, we can disagree and we can, you know, even sometimes like Mag said, argue about certain things, but at the end of the day, there's not this you don't like come on top as the winner. I mean, we just hold each other in community. So. Um, and something that Mags, uh, you said was the, um, it's interesting uh, that perspective of, um, cause 
a lot of the narrative I hear, um, especially among um, ex-Mormon women, is that um, they wanted to have a voice and they wanted to um, – they were constantly silenced. I never thought about um, seeing that feminine side as a negative thing because it's uh, – because that oppression and the way it – spells out for a lot of, like um in your experience was that it was like it was negative and i um where i mean it's negative that their their voices are oppressed and like constantly just they don't have a seat at the table mm-hmm. but the um the idea that they they're like kind of just trying to be top dog and so then they just eat their own. And I. It makes sense looking back at young women's and yeah. how clicky it was and how like nasty the older girls were. And it makes yeah. perfect sense just, because they're, they're so repressed. Any chance they get even a glimmer of power, then it just it creates this nasty toxicity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's that it's that whole like gender role assignment, right? We're assigned genders at birth, like. Yeah. I mean, yes, we can have the parts of a sex, you know, you can be female or male, but like that doesn't have any bearing on whether you're going to be, you know, a masculine female or a a feminine man or even your sexual orientation. I mean, if we know that sexual orientation is something we can't control, like gender identity is kind of in the same boat. And that's, I mean, that's a huge topic that transcends the church, right? But like I... I'm grateful that this conversation has kind of popped up in society at large because that's really, it really feels like it was the core of what my experience was. Cause I mean, I'm not only, I don't, I not only identify as non-binary, I also identify like my orientation is pan romantic asexual. So like I left the church in part because I felt like, you know, I can't be myself. I have to put myself into this, into this box of, you know, heteronormativity and marry a man and pop out all these babies. But like, I can't, I just, I can't feel that. Right. And I know that that's the experience for so many other queer ex-Mormons. And what I love about community Christ is that there is a lot of questioning still happening. I mean, I think the recognition of LGBTQ um, marriage is still pretty recent. Like we're talking within this past, well, it was like 2010 or something um, where that was allowed in community Christ and voted on. And that's not even on, on the whole church level. That's just like in Canada and the United States and Australia and like Europe and stuff. But um, I'm, I'm grateful that I can have this space where I can just kind of I can talk about those things th- that made that were important to me as a as a Mormon and people will understand. Right. Like I can still sort of appreciate, you know, scriptures or passages from the Book of Mormon. And people will know what I'm talking about or I can kind of share vent my frustrations about church history and people will know what I'm talking about. And I can kind of be in this sort of Mormon space. Like a lot of people say that community Christ is Mormon light. And I think that when you're coming from it, when you're coming at it as a, you know, a new person investigating or looking into community Christ, it feels like that. But really it's, it's, it's not in a lot of ways. Like it's Mormon light when I need it to be Mormon light. It's not, it's like universal, universalist unitarian christianity when i need it to be that and that that is what i need more now that i've been here for a while 
I don't worry so much about like the Mormon light thing anymore. I don't need to have my hand held through my deconstruction of my faith in in prophetic voices or the Book of Mormon or anything. And and I get to be openly myself. I get to be open and say, yeah, I'm queer and I'm accepted. And nobody is telling me that I have to go talk to my bishop and repent and get married anyway, um, which is so... I just know that for so many queer ex-Mormons, they just feel like they're pushed out more than anything. And I hate that because that's not the kind of community that we were raised to expect. We were all raised to believe that our community loves us and is here for us and supports us. And to feel like, yes, there are members of my church who do support me, but my institu- the institution, the core of that church doesn't, is so hard. And yeah, I felt I felt pushed out. And that's, again, going back to where is priesthood authority at? I, I need to be I the church is corrupt. I'm more righteous. Like that all came from this space of like, I want to stay Mormon, but I can't be Mormon. And so community crisis kind of where I landed and that relationship changes and shifts. But I'm still grateful that it's part of my life. And I don't expect it to always be part of my life. Like there may be times and there have been kind of times where I sort of kind of transitioned in and out, but I'm just glad it's here. Yeah, it seems um, it's just the nuance. Like there's just a lot of nuance to the to people's beliefs and what brings them to uh, your congregations and in the community of Christ. Um, and you recognize people's backgrounds and their experiences and how that brings a flavor as I, you know, it brings flavor to the congregation rather than like, you know, you just go and like same old cookie cutter. Like we were saying, like we've been saying this, like the, the Brighamite church, that's what I'm going to start calling it from now on. <laughs> the Brighamite church, I'm going to, um, they, you know, it's all about, just being you know the uh, on the straight and narrow path and the straight and narrow path is heteronormative and no flavor (laughs) yeah very boxed in and very specific and very shallow (laughs) yeah um something uh i can't remember which one of you because i was in two different conversations (laughs) with both of you um one of you said that you guys um probably identify as I, this phrase was optimistic atheists and I I can't remember um, I liked that phrase I just because I think I I mean in that in my mind when I hear that I'm kind of like is that agnostic but probably not quite like I just I, I don't know if you wanted to elaborate on that but I because um, I tend to feel more sometimes I'm like agnostic but then I'm like oh I'm so atheist it's not even funny but like I just I don't um, I kind of it just depends on really like my mood and that that's what I kind of like about the the community of Christ. It feels like I could fit in there because I'm, you know, like I, my beliefs are, you know, somewhere in the, the realm of in the middle. <laughs> so that may have been me, but I don't know if I would have identified as 
atheist, but also sometimes I do when oh, I get agnostic. grumpy. Maybe that was the word. Maybe <laughs> it, it was op- it op- optimistic agnostic. agnostics. Yeah, sorry, I got that wrong. But <laughs> well, no, no, it's fine. And I don't necessarily see atheism as a put down, right? Like I, because God in the larger Christian, and I'll just talk like Christian God is so co-opted by like one type of dude, right? And it's always a dude. And there's very specific theology and baggage that comes along with that. And then you add on all the Mormon layers of Heavenly Father and what that entails. And like, I'm super atheist against that God, right? Like, (laughs) I completely have demolished my old belief system with that. Um, And that's why I'm comfortable with the word agnostic, meaning that I have a hope for a God and whether that God is an outside force, whether that God is an inside force that connects us and connects humanity. um, That's more where my personal beliefs align. Um, But yeah, the whole like, daddy God on the cloud that sent his son, like, (laughs) which again ties back to one reason, you know, why it was really important for me to be rebaptized is because my whole construct of God has changed. And so atheism isn't a threat to me. Um, I would much, much rather have, you know, an atheist child or an atheist spouse or be atheist myself and have a solid, moral center that is grounded in justice and peacemaking than some crusader Christian, you know, like <laughs> I, I think so much harm has been done by really unfortunate views of God. And so it's tricky because when you're an ex Mormon and you are still religious, people are like, what? And then when you're an ex Mormon and you're religious and you're like Mag said, in a church that ties back to Joseph Smith, they're like, what? <laughs> and then when you're ordained in that church and then when you pastor that church or, you know, whatever, like it, there's a lot of like, but not that kind of pastor or not that kind of elder or not that kind of church that I find myself doing just because people bring so much baggage and their own understanding to that conversation. So I don't know. I definitely, Um, would not be considered Christian enough for a lot of Christians. And I would not be considered atheist enough for a lot of atheists. I kind of find myself in this um, hopeful space uh, that there is something out there or in us that is, that connects us. And, And that's love and that's compassion and that is hope. So that's kind of what God is for me. And I would say that's what God is for me on my best days. Sometimes I get a little more cranky and I'm, <laughs> I wear more of like an ex Mormon hat. Um, but yeah, and, and it's fluid, right? Like I don't have to be certain about it, which is, I think why um, I'm just, I'm a lot more comfortable in just the uncertainty and not having all the answers. I totally could have said that the optimistic atheist too. Cause <laughs> I, yeah, I, I feel very similarly in that. Well, I don't think Brittany knows this one. There was one time I was uh, once teaching Sunday school for a very short time in Salt Lake's congregation. And I'm pretty sure I quoted the satanic Bible and like nobody <laughs> flinched. 
and I was teaching the lesson. I love the satanic Bible. I love the tenets of the satanic temple. I mean, I know that there's some, like, some, some drama there with, I don't know. I'm very interested in religion and I kind of keep tabs on a couple, but, um, yeah, I love, I've, I've loved the freedom to explore things and to share those things in church even if they have like the name Satan on them, like nobody, nobody seems to be bothered by that because I mean, we're all just here on this shit little planet trying to figure our shit out. Right. And, (laughs) and so like, I've loved hearing people quote the Quran and learning more. Like we've, I've seen people introduce Muslim Islamic practices, rituals, into our space in a Christian space. And so learning, I mean, yes, it's kind of coming from a Christian lens is how they're presenting it, but it gives, you know, I don't necessarily have always, always the, the, um, the energy to go look at all of these religions and to study all of their ritual practices, but seeing how people are taking things that are meaningful for themselves and sharing with them and kind of like exploring that as well is just really refreshing. And, and it's, it's almost like a safe spiritual place to sort of deconstruct. And then, you know, there's always the internet to be an angry ex-Mormon about. And I'm with Brittany. I am like, there are days where I'm like, ah! um, but there are other days where it's like, you know, guys, maybe we need to be nicer. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Like sometimes when I'm on ex-Mormon Reddit and people are like, oh, community Christ sucks because they're just based on Joseph Smith's like, you guys let it go. Like community of Christ is actually trying to let that go. Please let them let that go. And if people are joining with community of Christ because it's based in Joseph Smith, that's their journey. Let it go. And let's just be here for each other to support each other wherever we end up, because we all are dealing with trauma and toxicity and unpackaging that. And that's what we should be wor- concentrating on as an ex-Mormon community. Absolutely. I, um, the, the, some of the vitriol that I've seen on like ex-Mormon re- uh, Reddit and on, oh, Twitter is a whole other story. Oh, anyway, but the. Uh, awful. <laughs> I can't even go on Twitter. <laughs> shithole. But anyway, <laughs> but the Mormons on there are relentless. They are terrible anyway that's besides the point but the um (laughs) i like how you you're bringing truth from all because in my mind it was always like there's truth in everything like there's there's something valuable to be learned in everything the muslim practice is actually that has beautiful things about it there's just and then um or islam and then uh Buddhism, you know, and uh, even the Satanic Temple. Like I had a guest on here at the beginning of the podcast that she's a, actually a friend of mine that was at BYU Idaho at the same time as me, and now she's um, atheist, I think. But she, she, um, what's the word? She ascribes to the sat- Satanic Temple. Like she's a member of the Satanic Temple, and um, ever since that conversation, like that the whole the tenants of the satanic temple have been like i'm like this is actually really good like this is it's not just it's not just about it's not the devil himself it's like it's taking christianity and like flipping it basically it's the antithesis of christianity is basically what it's saying 
Um, that's my understanding of it. But I like that you've um, been able to be exposed to different things and you're able to take what is meaningful to you and apply it to however you feel. Yeah, like community Christ is almost the antithesis of Mormonism. So we're the Satanists of Mormonism. There's the one-liner of the podcast. <laughs> 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 Perfect. It just seems, yeah, it just seems to be what the Mormon church could have been if they'd had transparency, if they'd had acceptance, if they'd had a little bit more freedom of thought, I think it, that's what it could have been. It could have been a really beautiful community rather than a very toxic, authoritarian, <laughs> I don't even have a word for it. <laughs> and yeah, I will say that that is one way that it almost makes it difficult to be part of Community of Christ because I feel like it it almost consistently breaks my heart because of that, because I'm constantly faced with my own past and what could have been. So I went to a teen camp that was not like EFY. It's like a sports leadership, arts, music camp for Community of Christ kids. And I was there by myself. I mean, I was a guest minister. And um, so I wasn't like with a group. And there was one afternoon that I had to go in. It was basically the church college. I had to go in my little dorm room and I just sobbed. I like broke down uncontrollably because (laughs) my youth experience was so messed up compared to what these kids were getting. Um, You know, I saw at least one or two kids come out publicly on stage in front of hundreds of kids and there was standing ovations and there was clapping and cheering and love. And like, I loved it, but it made me look at my own childhood and just with so much devastation of like, I am permanently messed up because of Mormonism. Um, Did not think I was going to cry on this podcast, but like, it's hard. It's hard to face that like this is what could have been because like we all could have been raised in something so much more healthy and and where would we be in our personal lives if we were taught from the beginning that we had worse that the girls were just as valid as the boys and the non-binaries were just as valid as the boys and the girls and that our only path was not this eternal marriage and parenthood and whatever like I'm just faced constantly with the ways that Mormonism messed me up in community of Christ because they chose a different path. So it's beautiful, but it also is triggering in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yeah, I could imagine. So just to, just to see, to see that lighter side and that better. Yeah. Like it happens to me almost daily where I'm like watching my kids and I'm like, (laughs) you just get to be yourselves and you're not, dictated to and away from birth I just it, yeah it gives me a lot of emotional moments trying to take. Um, also side note the reason why you cry on this podcast is because of Dusty so she has this power I don't know it's a Canadian thing <laughs> <laughs> well honestly it doesn't take much for me to cry so there you go <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it because it's it's an authentic like you're having an authentic moment and you're sharing with us and yeah. it's so beautiful and it's so touching and I'm so appreciative that you shared this with us because yeah it's, and I know that 
It's going to touch the thing. Is that my mic? Sorry. <laughs> oh, good. Um, do you? Okay. I think we're we're past the whatever that was. Anyway, we're so professional. Um, <laughs> do Do you guys have any other anything you want to like closing remarks? We've enjoyed having you guys here. This has been awesome. Such a. I think there's some so many other things we could go down avenues we could go down so we could always have you guys back and if you're willing and able and um yeah i think there's been a lot of good stuff said and i feel i feel like i understand the community christ a little better now i just looked up the address of uh the local one here so (laughs) i'm gonna have to go check it out (laughs) which congregation is it it would be the calgary congregation yeah I have some good buddies in that congregation. So oh, really? My dear, dear Parker Johnson. He's actually <gasps> okay. the president of Harmony, which is the queer advocacy group within Community of Christ. He's in that oh, congregation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I just, I just had to like Google it and I saw my beautiful city in the background. So uh, yeah. there's a couple <laughs> of, have to check there's out. a, there's a few ex-Mormons, I think, in that congregation, too. So, Yeah, I feel like there would be, because there's a large population of LDS people in, like, Calgary and surrounding southern Alberta. I mean, we have three temples within six hours of each other, so. <laughs> like the second <laughs> They just they just announced one. I think they announced a temple in Eugene or something. And I was like, thank God it's not here in Salem. I can't. I don't want one in Salem. I didn't even remember that we like had an LDS temple in Calgary. And my husband and I drove by and I was like, what on earth? And he was like, that's the Mormons. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like I didn't okay. even. It was so weird. <laughs> like That's really nice real estate in our city. <laughs> great and spacious building <laughs> oh. it's like up on a hill and it was glowing and i was like oh. feel away about that rexburg little tiny rexburg there's many two of them oh my god that boggles my mind yeah that's a flex that's a if flex. they ever sell them can we like start turning them into really cool nightclubs that's I want to turn yes. the bat. I really want to see a baptismal turned into like a super awesome like jacuzzi tub. Yes, with, like, with the oxen. Uh huh. Yeah. The oxen are like neon. They're like uh, <laughs> lights on them. Like put yep. sunglasses yep. on them. <laughs> Rainbow strobe lights. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they're gonna do with those buildings when they're just great and spacious and not just. Oh, I know. <laughs> It just it yeah. boggles my mind the amount the amount of money and yeah it's just insane to me knowing like especially knowing like my husband's company bid on part of the work for it and were denied because they like weren't an LDS affiliated like it's just so strange to me. <laughs> Yikes. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, but you can buy anything in this world with money. See, we've done another thing with the temple again. <laughs> can we sneak into this podcast? Sure. <laughs> so good. Yeah, but I don't know. Thanks, thanks for having us on and being willing to chat with 
two random ex-Mormons who were like, hey, we heard your podcast. <laughs> I'm so glad that you did. No, this yeah, is incredible. To, yeah, to actually have the conversation and to be like set straight <laughs> about everything. Like, yeah, that was that was good. I'm appreciative of it for sure. And it's, I'm glad we didn't so, say anything we needed to apologize for. <laughs> no, it, it's kind of crazy how like it is like community Christ is on sort of the mar- margins of ex-Mormonism and the community. And it's like, I think it's actually bigger than you guys realize. Like there are a lot of people who come here. And so like, I think this is a kind of a conversation that, you know, needs to be had more often because, you know, again, it's the whole that it's all that, um, you know, holding space for people in ex-Mormonism as they deconstruct and how they will de- deconstruct it. And community Christ can be part of that. And it can't be, it doesn't have to be part of that. But, you know, like, like, let's, let's build some positivity and find the positivity where we can, right? Like there are some negatives we can, we can cover, but like, let's lean on the positivity in ex-Mormonism because we're out. We're no longer yeah. being tithed out the ass. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I can afford my mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to wear shitty underwear <laughs> yes that's even the that's the best part <laughs> i so love it it's funny because my before all this like my whole like i kept thinking of like what i would what i thought of with like rlds because it was in the you know growing up it was called the rlds and i always thought like oh they just you know that typical thing that you hear like oh they just didn't like they didn't like uh, Brigham Young, so they did me, 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 you know. And so, um, same. And also the <laughs> temple, with the the spiral temple. Um, the that's the only thing I knew about. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, but now it's good to know that there's like more to it, obviously. And I'm just I'm thinking about that, thinking back on them, like, why didn't I think of like you're not built to question things, obviously, but like, why didn't I think of like are they really just sitting around being all like, mm, we're, we're not, we're better Mormon. We're more, we're like the, you know, like the, are they, they, every time they go to church, they're like, ah, those Mormons in Utah, we don't want to, we don't associate with them, but I mean, I mean that might happen, but like also <laughs> like, that's not the, the main crux of your things that you're talking about at church. It's all about community and unity and, diversity and the fact that you'd mentioned that there's a uh queer uh what'd you i can't a queer, what'd you call it advocacy harmony group. queer advocacy yeah, group harm- in the church that's like amazing so yeah anyway it's way different than i ever thought it would you know yeah it's incredible it really is and you can drink coffee i'm so happy <laughs> Yes, we actually just upgraded our coffee maker in the Salt Lake congregation. That was like once the new year came and I like became pastor, one of my uh, counselors was like, we have got to get a new coffee maker. So that was like one of the first things we we spent money on. So I love it. it makes me so happy just on a personal level. That's just perfect. We have a full coffee bar every Sunday school class. So. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. It was great. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll just, you know, put in one tiny plug. If you want to talk to me or Mags on the Internet, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And um, again, not to be like weird missionaries, but just to chat or help deconstruct and 
because we absolutely have been there. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good to have someone to rage with sometimes. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's why this podcast exists. <laughs> we couldn't afford therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs>